Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Yeah, you know me. Down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. I'm down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Are you ready to get down with some D&D? I know I am. I am joined, as I am always joined, by the Misty, Motivated, and Merry today, Mad Wizard Merwin. What is up, Sean? I am pretty merry today. Me lots too. Of, lots, of, lots of happy stuff going on in life. Lots of happy stuff. Um, let, let's get right into announcements. I mean, uh, I guess I should preview what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about player contributions based on an article from DM David. Oh, we were going to talk about Mike, Mike Shea's stuff, but... We reached out to Mike Shea, and we're going to try to get him on the show to talk about that, and he's got some more articles coming out, so we decided to postpone that until those are done, and then we can talk about all that stuff. Because we do like to talk to one Michael Shea. Yeah, the sly flourish is pretty sly and flourishing, mm-hmm. uh, especially with the blogosphere. So yep. let's get into some announcements now. Um, update on AL. So uh, why, don't you, why don't you lead me through this? So they put out a new uh, Adventures League players pack with some information. Um, the Lost Laboratory of Qualish, which was the extra life adventure that Wizards of the Coast did, is now out and AL legal, so you can get that on the DMs Guild. Um, Winter's Splendor is another uh, adventure that they put out to celebrate Christmas holiday season, and that was written by Ashley Warren, and that is now um, Adventures League legal as well, and there's guidance on how to run that. Um, there's an update on it. Uh, author-only adventures and CCC adventures that are now in the catalog. And the most important bit of news is they're experimenting with a new rule. I love this rule. Okay, go ahead. Yes. The rule is that when you're playing Dungeon of the Mad Mage, you can choose on a per-session or per-level basis not to take any rewards. Um, So basically, you can play it but you do not gain any advancement checkpoints and you do not gain any treasure checkpoints, although you still do get story awards and any uh, magic item unlocks that might be there. That's not true. That said you do get the item unlocks. No, that's what I'm saying. You do get item unlocks and story awards. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Um, So those are the two things you get. And it is being met with pretty much, you know, thumbs up. Great. And I think it is, it is very nice that this is an option. Yeah allows people who may out-level their fellow uh, party members to slow down for a bit, since you can choose when and when not to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, you, if you like a certain tier of play, you can play to your heart's content without ever um, leveling out of that tier. And overall, I think it's just it's a good step to you know engage players more on the level that they want to play. Yeah, I can totally agree with that, right? Like, yep. And oh. the one... Oh, did you want to say something, Chris? No, no, continue. Okay, so the one thing that people have been saying um, and asking for is, well, we we want to get no advancement checkpoints, but we still want to get treasure checkpoints. Yeah, that's crazy. You can't do that. That's that's a very bad idea. It's a bad... I understand. I get what they're yeah. saying, but it's bad game design. Very, very, very bad game design, uh, because what you do then is you get players who never advance in levels, but are just piling up enormous amounts of treasure, magic, and so on to be very powerful at a very low level, perhaps. And then once they get all of those goodies, then they 
start advancing and they're just much more powerful than everyone else at the table. Uh, on the bright side, though, you can't use those adventure checkpoints to get higher level items when you tear up. That's actually a rule. Yeah, sure, sure. But you could still have a lot of gold or a lot of other resources at, at uh, lower levels than you should. Yeah, I agree. Um, So yeah. so from a story point, like, I get it, right? I've been reading um, a new series of books called... Uh, uh, Agile and Nyx. It's a very sword and sorcery esque in in the very much vein of Fawford and the Grey Mouser. Mm-hmm. And um like Nyx, he's a rogue with a little bit of wizard to him, and he's got like this mm-hmm. bag of they call them gugaws, which are basically magic items that he pulls out and uses. Now, I think that's cool because those things don't continually work, right? They eventually mm-hmm. run out, but that's right. not how magic items work in D D. Like if there was something that modeled that kind of play, I'd be all about it. Like if there were like some you could get treasure checkpoints to spend on um, on consumable magic items. I'd be way more okay with it than with permanent magic items, right? Sure. And if you yeah. couldn't hoard them, like if you had to cap out at some point. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, it's just, it's just I understand that, you know, some people say, well, I don't feel like I'm really playing D&D if I am not getting something experience or treasure or something out of it. It feels wrong. Well, there, I have an answer for you. Don't do that. Yeah, you can not take, play the game that way. This is an option. Take half experience. You know, take the slow progression uh, if if you want. But just because you don't like pineapple on your pizza doesn't mean that the restaurant should stop serving pineapple. Yeah, and the, so that statement right there, it doesn't feel like I'm playing d and I'm not really sure what D&D is anymore. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't and, know if it's defined as any one thing in, in general at all. And we're really going to get to that point, you know, when we talk about our main topic today. But yes, that is a great point. Is that even, you know, as as the years pass, D and D is becoming a more broad hobby. You know, it's becoming different things to different people, uh-huh. and you we have to, as a group, whether you're a brand new player or someone who's been playing since 1974. Learn to understand that your preferences are not everyone's preferences, and we have to be more accepting of others' ways of enjoying the hobby, whether it be playing the game or using it as a source of entertainment for ourselves. Yeah, I agree. And I've actually been saying this pretty much since the inception of Dungeons & Dragons, this edition of the Dungeons & Dragons game, that... This version of the game, more so than many previous versions, is a very much uh, pick up the book and build the kind of D&D experience that you want from it. And they haven't stopped uh, leaning on that idea, I don't think. They're not saying it out loud, but this idea of modules and different kinds of adventures that keep popping up and different kinds of play experiences that they're providing. And then, of course, with the streaming and whatnot, like I've seen streams that are very much in the style of the OSR uh, gaming where you are dungeon crawling searching mm-hmm. rooms things like that that kind of game exists and then there's the very much theater of the mind we're just using the game as a um as a jumping off point for improv acting yep and absolutely. and all of that stuff is awesome to me like i like playing games in a variety of different ways i mean my eberron game right now is essentially mission impossible uh D, and mm-hmm. i love it so yep. i mean and that's not the same as a D game i, I ran um Oh, uh, what was the uh, what's the what's the Red Wizard dungeon, the big one? Uh, 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 Thay. Yeah, the Dead and Thay, the Doom Vault or whatever yeah. it's called. Right. Like right. we ran that as a very much a dungeon crawl, right? Like so, 
I mean, you can play this game a ton of different ways. That's what yep. I'm getting at. Yep. So that option is now there if you're an Adventures League player. But it's only right now for Dungeon of the Mad Mage. It's not for any other of the play experiences. So keep that in mind. And maybe this is an experiment to see how it's used. Uh, and then it may expand to uh, to further play opportunities. Mm-hmm. So uh, you mind if I talk about this next one? Let's Let's talk about the next one, Chris. You go. All right. So... We're running a Kickstarter right now that for Encoded Designs. That is the company that me and Sean are part of. You hear us say the, the media arm of Encoded Designs all the time. It's called The Streets of Avalon. This is a mega city source book, source book for the fifth edition of, the, of Dungeons & Dragons. It's funded. It's already hit its second stretch goal as of this recording. Probably by the time you hear this, it'll probably hit another stretch goal or two. It's going to be a great little project. I'm, I'm really happy that it's, it's doing so well. If you've backed it, thank you so much. If you haven't backed it, I implore that you check it out. If nothing else, watch the video. It's a really good video. It tells a little story at the beginning. The, we, we put a lot of effort into it. John Arcadian from the Gnome Stew, he put it together. I did the audio for it. It's, uh, it's a lot of fun. It's a really cool video. Yeah. So <laughs> just go watch it. Check it out. Um, if, if I, don't, I think I've talked about what's in this, in this game book already, but uh, the stretch goal stuff already. So we're going to do an Urban Ranger. Uh, I'm going to write it up, and Sean's going to tell me how much it sucks so I can fix it. <laughs> that's pretty much how that's going to go. I'm not afraid to tell Chris something sucks if it sucks. It's true. So that's the first stretch goal. That's getting done. And then we're doing Firearms and Avalon, because Avalon's got a little bit of a Victorian gas light feel to it. Uh, not quite, but it, it's it's in that realm. And uh, and guns are a thing. So the Firearms of Avalon is, is going to be written. And then hopefully we'll get to some of our other stretch goals. Like the next stretch goal is a, um, I'm going to do a, a piece of cartography, a map of a, of a neighborhood in Avalon using that Dyson style of map making. And I'm, I've been practicing and getting much, much better at it. So it's going to look real good. I'm going to spend a lot of time making sure that it looks awesome. And then if we get that one done, our fourth stretch goal is an adventure. Like Brett has an adventure called Iron Shoes and we're going to produce that then. And all these stretch goals, they're PD, they're going to be PDFs, but um, after the Kickstarter, they're going to be for sale on drive-thru, but if you get in on the Kickstarter, especially at the $10 PDF level, that's right, the PDF's only 10 bucks. It's way cheaper than it should be because that's going to go up more for, on, the, on drive-thru too. Um, you get all that stuff also. So you're going to get a huge deal if you get in just for the $10 level. Yep, and the way we're trending right now, it looks like a lot of these stretch goals will come into play. So for just 10 bucks, you're going to get a lot of content. Yeah, it is... Um, it, Right now, the way it's trending, it looks like we're going to get all the stretch goals done. That is, uh, uh, we we our our last stretch goal right now that's out is at like nine thousand six hundred bucks. We should probably get to ten. I think ten is not unreasonable. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, the Streets of Avalon Kickstarter it's going real well. It's a it's a really good deal for ten dollars. So there you go. Next, there is a new Unearthed Arcana article on the concept of sidekicks. We've got a link for it in the show notes. And we really could do a whole show on this, but I just want to briefly talk about what's in it and uh, maybe a couple of opinions on it. Oh, my God. So <laughs> I didn't see yeah, this. I want to yeah, talk I, about this so bad. This is next week's I, show. Next week we're talking I, I, about this. <laughs> <laughs> At least partially. So uh, what this uh, UA article does is talks about ways for you to introduce a, a sidekick for a PC. So it could be a townsperson or an animal or some other creature that the character has formed a relationship with. And I've learned through my years of writing and playing D&D that people love these sidekicks. People love to have uh, you know, an animal companion, not in the rule sense, but, but
but in the um, story sense or having, you know, their buddy who's always with them. And what this does is it gives a mechanical way for you to create and then level up such a such a being. Um, there are it talks the article talks about you know how to level them up and then it gives three examples of them. There's the example of the warrior, which is a, a fighter type, the expert, which is more of a skill based roguish type, and then the spellcaster. So these uh, all are treated pretty much like their their very own classes that level up one to, to twenty, and so I'm not going to give my opinion on any of the specific abilities or skills or or mechanics of it. I want you to go read it. It's on the main, Wizards main site under you know their Unearthed Arcana stuff, and go on to our G Plus community and tell us what you think. Yeah, I wanna I wanna hear. But if you do want to start using these things, I want to give a couple of caveats. One, this is very much like having another full character in the party. If you are playing with a group, a small group, or a group that is generally underpowered compared to the adventures you're playing, this would be a great way to balance things out. Give them the sidekick. Um, if you know, it, it just it gives another hit point sink and it gives some more ability to do damage to monsters that, you know, if you add just one creature that spreads out the attacks or contributes to the attacks on the PC side, um, it's, you know, it's a much more powerful party for it. So that's a good way to help. If it's a weaker party, if it's an overpowering party, keep in mind that you are adding a whole character to the party. Um, and the, the last warning is, I have seen instances in earlier editions where something like this, a sidekick, a uh, a squire, whatever they've been called over the years, an apprentice, can sometimes, in the hands of a player who is not careful with them, can overshadow the other characters at the table, uh, both in terms of power and in terms of story. So if you do introduce this into your game, just keep that in mind and... If the player who's using it or the players who are using that start to overshadow or overwhelm the game with these sidekicks, be ready to dial it back a bit. But other than that, I think it's pretty neat, and I would love to hear everyone's opinion about it. I already I scanned through the document. I have many thoughts already, but we'll talk about it next week. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we would be here two hours if, if we got in too deeply into this. Uh-huh. Oh. And the, the the final announcement I wanted to talk about was uh, kind of an apology because in the last show I said the full AL campaign for Eberron is out the door and go check it out and there's 10, 11 adventures and I completely forgot that Empty uh, Black was writing a second level 10 adventure that was the actual finale of it. So... Go check out M.T. Black's Secrets Below. That is the final adventure in the uh, Adventures League Eberron campaign. Um, there are uh, 12 adventures total, not 11. So sorry about that, everybody. Uh, if you thought that the last adventure was the final adventure, it's not. Uh, ELW 11 Secrets Below is, in fact, the finale of that campaign. Very cool. I can't wait to 
you know, read it because I, I can get ahead now and like really plan out the rest of my uh, my my campaign because I'm running this thing and I think it's great. I really kind of enjoy the story that's going on. Mm-hmm. All right, let's get to our main topic: players contributing to the setting. So this is another article from DM David. Uh, the article is, you know, should a should a dungeon master invite players to help create the D and D world beyond their characters? You should go read that article. We'll wait. Yep. Oh, here you go. There we go. The All right. uh, distracted mark on hold music. Yeah, right? That's pretty much it. That way we okay, don't have now, to. Okay, now wasn't any... that article great, folks? Thank it was, you for checking it out. It was amazing. It's such a good article. Yep. So I wanted to just give a kind of broad overview of of the the issues around this, not necessarily the article itself. Sure. Uh, as we were talking about earlier, D&D is many different things to many different people. Uh, for some, it's a game and only a game that you roll dice and move figures on a board or a map. For others, it's a storytelling activity that even very rarely uh, uses the rules of the game. But for most, it's a combination of those two things with some leaning hard in one direction, some leaning hard in another, and many just straddling the line and making it a, a dual uh, hobby. Mm-hmm. And with the boom that we talked about in the, in the industry recently, where it is becoming more a form of entertainment than a game as it has in the past. Um, even when the novels were coming out, you know, one a week, the game was still the main focus. Whereas now, I would posit that there are many more people watching D&D than there are people playing D&D. Um, so it's important that we understand not only what people um, at your gaming table want from the hobby, it's also important to be honest and reflect with yourself on what you want from the game. Because everything that we're about to talk about ties in directly to that, what does the game mean to you? What does the hobby mean to you? And if you can answer that question with yourself, honestly, and then with the players at your table, honestly, you will be able to take some of the advice we're going to give and say, yes, that's good advice, but it doesn't work for our table. Or, wow, that's great advice, and that fits our table perfectly. Does that make sense? It makes tons of sense. That's why I didn't okay. say anything the entire time you were talking. Okay, so with that, now we can go and talk about player contributions to the game uh, in terms of helping build the game creatively. All right, so in this in this article, DM David, I think, is referencing three different levels of creativity. Um, we've talked about creativity in games before and levels of contribution. Um, and the misdirected mark has done it. It's called levels of play or layers of the game. So... The ones that I think he's getting at here are the character level, the story level, and the campaign level. So at the character level, we're talking about the player characters. And that's like you are playing in character. Like you are describing the things that you are doing from from your character's point of view, be it you know first person or third person. But all the stuff is surrounding the uh, the player character. Mm-hmm. The uh, The story level is usually like, so as a PC, you have part of that because you were saying, like, I'm doing this thing and that's part of the story. But everything else around the story, the, around the gameplay, is often described by the DM. That is the, the, the DM player relationship that is typically presented in Dungeons & Dragons. Is that, is that mm-hmm. a fair assessment? 
Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Now that means the DM has control over all the NPCs, the weather, the the, the world. Like if there's going to be natural disasters and things like that, how people will react. Not necessarily the player characters, but everybody else. All that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's the campaign level. So that is like the setting in a lot of ways. It is also like also part of like what is the plot that is going on in the background like what are all the bad guys doing like that's part of the story too but a lot of times when i'm talking about the storytelling aspect of it i'm talking about what's on screen like mm-hmm. what what is happening currently while you're playing the game okay so you're just just so i'm clear you're differentiating between plot and story the plot is what could happen in the future the story is what is actually happening as the characters themselves interact have friction with uh with what's going on yeah the 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 story is like the play level like we are playing the game together right like but the um like the player characters get to get to do their things because it's like the pcs act in the story level too but the dm really has a lot more control over like descriptions of what is happening because in the blog post dm david says like a pc describes what they're doing the dice is rolled then the dm describes what happens as the result of that right and then also the dm gets to set up the situations a lot of the time Mm-hmm. because they're in control of all the setting stuff. So when it comes to presenting an, in a situation like, oh, you've been ambushed, or oh, you walk into the bar and this, that, and the other thing is occurring, then there's that. And then, like I said, right. the campaign part is like, you have built the world or have the world at your disposal. You know what the the ongoing plot, the, the, the meta plot for what is going on is in the background, and you're using all of that stuff to draw pieces together to help facilitate the story. Okay, so, so story is... Is the character's input, the dice resolving, and then the DM interpreting those results? Yeah, the DM, yeah, that is that is the story level in a lot of ways, yes. Okay. It is mostly, I feel like it's mostly DM with character contribution. Okay. Can, can we talk about each of these individually before we go on? Yeah, absolutely. Let's do that. Okay. So I think you set up really nicely a traditional view of a D&D game. Correct. Right? And that's where the I wanted PCs, to start. Yep. The PCs control their characters. The DM, for the most part, controls the story, although the characters supply the input. And then the DM controls the campaign. Mm -hmm. So what we're going to talk about is contributions from players that step outside of that typical paradigm. Sure. Absolutely. Okay. All right. As well as other things. So I want to start with with the the character and the PCs because I want to kind of clarify and... Just talk a, a little bit about our own experiences with how much a a DM versus a player controls that characterization, the the the, the character of 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 the game, basically. Um, how much of a character's own story should be controlled by the player versus the DM uh, in in a typical game? What do you, what do you think? Does does the character uh, can the character control their own, you know, backstory in the sense of the details? Not that, oh, I'm a hermit, but I'm a hermit who lived in this cave and have these connections and know these things. So I'm going to say it depends. And here I'm going to say why it depends. If you okay. were coming to sit at a table and there isn't anything established beforehand and and the, and the idea around the game that you were going to play is like, we're going to get together and play a game, bring whatever you want to the table. Then the character can absolutely, the player character, the person can actually absolutely do all of that stuff. I okay. think um, if there is a frame 
that goes along with this game, then it is way more constrained, right? Like, because you're, you're basically saying, we're going to play this particular campaign, fit your character inside of this framework. Okay. Is it cool when the DM not takes control of the character, but imposes those limitations uh, in a way... I don't know. I, I'm, I think I feel like I'm answering my own question by the way I'm asking it. Um, how much flexibility does a DM have in establishing that that stuff that a player would otherwise do? I think that all of the this whole thing is is supremely flexible because this is the conversation that you need to have before the game really starts. I mean, we talk about session zero all the time. This is why people have session zeros. So the way we don't have the friction so that we can set expectations. So that's why it's a it's it's a good question to ask, but it's not like a simple answer. Right. Like there is no a lot, a little um, anywhere in between, because it all depends on what kind of game that everybody wants to play together. And that's why that's why role playing games are so flexible. Like you can come and be like, I don't care about your background because it's not going to play at all into what we're doing here. So. Just bring a first level character because we're going to go dungeon crawling. So mm-hmm. then the character can make up whatever background they want, but who cares? Right. So that's fine then, right? Like that that's absolutely perfectly fine. Now, if we're going to play an Eberron campaign and we're like, we're going to play a lot of political intrigue and, and insanity and Sharn, and you want to make somebody who's a member of a house, I'll be like, okay, but understand like you're going to be caught up in a lot of bad stuff that you don't know about. Like you can think that your house is on your side, but your house isn't really on your side or might not be on your side or might be on your side. Or maybe you, maybe somebody will be in your house that is that you thought you trusted that ends up being a spy. Like I am, I'm now setting an expectation. Like, look, you can have these background pieces that you're talking about, but they might not play out the way that you think they will. Mm -hmm. So that's also a way that you can handle things. Right. There may be benefits of being in that house, but there are also probably going to be drawbacks as well. Yeah, because what we're looking for in a game like that is a little bit of drama. Mm-hmm. True. Um, anything else? No, it's it's just, you know, it's an interesting concept going back to what we've been talking about in terms of expectation, where, you know, the, the player either A, wants to have control of that information, B, doesn't care, so... The DM can say whatever he or she wants, Um, but it's just it's always an interesting thing because then you flip it around and you get the DM starting to ask players to create some of that information. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's it's interesting to see what players love to do that, what players kind of hate to do that. You know, I'm thinking of an adventure I wrote for for organized play, which is a whole other topic that we could get into about how does organized play handle these things. But it it was basically a trap that the players had to walk through. And one of the things to get through successfully is they had to admit what their mother's name was. Mm -hmm. And so when as a DM, you say the 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 little demon who's guarding this trap asks you, you know, what's your mother's name and you know some players really get into it and they they uh you know they revel in that creativity whereas others have this deer in the headlights look and don't not not only can't come up with an answer but get mad because you have asked them to come up with an answer so seeing that sort of um dichotomy of different player types speaks to me in this way 
of really needing to communicate beforehand at the table what the expect- expectations are going to be for for this creativity. Yeah, I mean that's like like I said before, that's the whole point of session zero and the whole point of being communicative. And I will tell you a thing um, about D and D. It does not do a very good job of telling you how to do this. True. Uh, this is this is a thing that you have to figure out a little bit on your own. I'm, I can't think of anywhere in the DMG, and I'm trying, I'm racking my brain right now, or in any of the other books that have come out that tells you about how to do this kind of stuff. Right. Yeah, and and, and you know the the amusing thing is that there are other games that do it very well. Right. Yeah. There are, there are other games that you know part of the mechanics of the game is doing exactly this. So. You know, it's that's why it's good sometimes to step out of your bubble of D and D and play other games, so you can see how other games do it well, and to see if you can incorporate some of that uh, technology into your own game, and your players or your DM might enjoy it. Yeah, we talked a little bit about Fate last week, right? Yep. Um, yep. I mean, even Dungeon World doesn't do a super good job of it. Uh, it's got um, it's got bonds which are really good. I think better than the bonds in um. In, in D&D, the way that they're framed anyway. Uh, but the, the, right. there's lots of there's a lot of games out there that do this pretty well. So, I mean, you right. can just look around for that stuff if you want to use it. Yep. It's funny that the fake games I have played, we've always joked that the character creation is the, the most fun part of the uh, of the campaign. It can be. It really is because you're like, we get to do all this world building, right? Like, Right. You get to build the world as players. You get to tell the story as players. And, and the GM is there, obviously, to contribute. Uh but it's it's it really pulls out some really creative stuff. Yeah, it's a there's a reason why that part of fate is being has been co-opted by so many other places because True. it's that good. Yep. So anyway, I, I just wanted to kind of hit on that character PC uh, player relationship and creative uh, drive before we go into the further things. So so do you want to talk I, about? I'm, I'm cool to move on. Yeah. Do you want to talk about story first or campaign first? Uh, why don't well, I don't care which whichever you prefer. So I think the story part is the more interesting thing to talk about because of how it interacts with these things that we just talked about a little bit. Um, I would like to save it for last. I'd like to talk about the campaign part because I think that's a little bit farther away from what we're talking about in a lot of ways. Okay. Sure. Let's let's do that. Um. So when we're talking about campaign stuff we're talking about plot and then like locations and places and whatnot um mm-hmm. you are really getting in a lot of ways getting away from your character if you're going to let players contribute to this stuff because there's no character there's not really a character perspective that you can apply to this which when we talk about story we'll talk about how you can frame it from the character's point of view which makes it a little less uh jarring to people mm-hmm. so this campaign thing is uh is the place where i think that players can get really really wonky like there's an example in the um in the article about the yonti so like what are the yonti up to in port naranzaru like when you ask a player that question a player that's not used to contributing in certain ways um will freeze up i also think that's a really bad question and the reason i think it's a really bad question is because you were like uh there's no follow-up to that like I could tell you this, but what does that like? I just now I know a secret of the campaign. Like, what do I do with that information? Like, I have no idea, right? Right. And I don't know how it plays into the game going forward. So I always prefer like if you're going to ask things like that of player characters, like, mm-hmm. um, you should have a follow up question like, and how do you know that? 
because now mm-hmm. now we've well now we've just done this thing where we've put it back on the pl- on the character right so we framed it from the character's point of view right now you don't have to do that maybe you have players that are super comfortable being like contributors to to ongoing campaign plots because you know what are the yanti up to point nine and zaro now the characters know that now the players know that and they don't if they are good at not lessing letting their um their character knowledge interfere with their player knowledge they can play that game and they like to see how stories play out based on that then that's a perfectly viable way to play mm-hmm. but uh my my experience with the the D set of players is and my pers- personal uh, per, uh, my personal preference for playing D that way is to not know that stuff right and and you will hear a lot of players say that you know i i want to solve the mystery i don't want to answer the mystery Period. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, but when you frame it from the character's point of view, now we just created a story. Mm-hmm. So, like, True. now that is not like you can still play that way. And then there's the other thing, like, why don't you go and define this part of the world for me? I mean, that that's a big part of the article, actually, right? Right. Like, that's how Greyhawk got made. Like, it's this is D and D genetics. I would have to say, right? Right. Right. Blackmore came from Gary Gygax telling Dave Arneson. Here's your part of the world. Do what you want with it. And mm-hmm. and really the the first, you know, campaign world uh setting was Blackmore within Greyhawk. Yes, absolutely. Um I think that's cool. I also think that if you're going to play a game that way, where you're like, go and define these places or build out this town or this city or make some NPCs in this space, um, there better be some guidelines. You better mm-hmm. figure out like what are your what are your themes sort of for your game and what are your restrictions for your game? Because some things are, some things can be, it's hard. We are pattern matching creatures by nature as people, human beings. We just pattern match naturally. Mm-hmm. So it's not, some of us are better at it than others, of course. But like when we see a bunch of disparate things, we can figure out how they connect. So mm-hmm. not a big deal to do that, but it helps if you have some guidelines. Very true. Very true. Uh, that's just, I think those are the two big things when it comes to campaign stuff. Like, Letting players introduce or define, like, mysteries is a thing that can happen as long as you have a plan for how that goes. And also, if you can, I think, frame it back to the characters. Like, how the heck do they know that? Or why don't they know that? You know, right. that's, that's another thing that you can ask, too. And then, because um, sometimes I do that. Like, that's a, that's a technique where you can have a, a cutscene where off off camera, off screen, like, a couple of NPCs have a conversation that you can use in summary to like relate to the player characters that some stuff is going on. Now they don't know that as player characters, but then like you can do some cool storytelling techniques on the back end of that of like like oh yeah, we heard that conversation. We don't know exactly what's going on, but then this thing happens like oh that must be related to that as a player. Um right. which is interesting because sometimes as characters like when we're playing and like mysteries come up we're like I don't know what that meant for anything. Like you ever mm-hmm. have that happen again like that that thing happened. I have no idea what's going on. Yeah, it yes. Oh, I always play like characters with very very low intelligence <laughs> so I don't have to pay attention to the table. Oh, that's funny. That's that's yeah. hilarious. But, but uh, absolutely. Yeah, you're absolutely correct. Um and you know, those off those off off stage scenes that you can put in are great for something where the character is going to hear this rumor at some point um and rather just doing it by, you know, a bullet list or spewing box text you know do it that way Mm -hmm. to add a little flavor to it make it more cinematic yeah and if you want those are times that you can um 
hand out like little scripts or like little NPCs that people can play and they can play those characters. Mm-hmm. And that's that's a fascinating thing that you can do too. Um, DM David mentions using summaries, so you can do that also off screen and have it like be like, all right, this thing happened. What do you think the you can ask those questions like, what do you think the fallout is of this for this house or this group mm-hmm. or this situation or these NPCs? Like, especially if those player characters are invested in those NPCs, um, right? And especially if those PCs, those NPCs don't mean much to your ongoing campaign, like they can then be mean more later. But at that point, like you're um, giving the player characters control over stuff that doesn't matter much in your ongoing game. And why that is good is because if you've DM'd long enough, you probably have come across a player who is trying to win (laughs) D&D. There's that. Yeah. Every single thing they do is always trying to get one up on the DM or the other players or the NPCs. And the more you can introduce these things where they get to be creative, but it's not just about winning gets them one step further away from that mindset of always trying to win. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, so and I, would just, I, I want to add one more thing about setting. Yeah. Um, if, if you do ask players to contribute to a setting, Give them a way to have a stake in the thing that they are creating, Um, whether it's mechanically through something like inspiration or, hey, you know, there's a bar here. What's the bar's name? Okay, they give it. What's the bartender's name? Okay, Uh, who are the three main patrons who are always there? Cool. Hey, guess what? You have a 5% stake in this bar. Uh, because your great aunt uh, owned it and she died without any children. And so now it's 5% yours. Yeah. That's, that's relating it back to the character, right? Precisely. Mm -hmm. Yep. That is a, in D and D a lot of players don't want that stuff, right? Like, or they're not comfortable with it or they're not used to it. But when you can relate anything back to a character, which I think we'll talk about right now, when it becomes part of the ongoing story and a thing that they can interact with, Mm-hmm. then it becomes a completely different thing to them. Like exactly. It, and, and it also makes that that disparate situation of, of am I a player or am I a game master, dungeon master? Uh, it, it blends it and it makes it more palpable to them. Mm-hmm. That Precisely. Is, that is my opinion. Like, I think that oh, is no. A, yeah. No, that's not just an opinion. That's a fact, right? You are, you are moving the realm from, as we've talked about, you know, the campaign or setting to story. Yes. And then once you can do that, then you have many more hooks that you can put into uh, the the characters and the players to to bring that to life better. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about story now, I think. like that, yep. I think it's a good place to go with it because we keep talking about relating back to story. So the big two things that DM David mentions in this article are describing heroic moments and then describing monster quirks. Now, these are two... Sp- fairly different things even though they don't seem like they're very different on the surface because when you describe a heroic moment you're describing your character doing something when you're describing a monster quirk you're describing something in the world and those are those are two different things now Mm -hmm. we just talked about how to make that a little easier for characters because you're like tell me what your character notices about this monster that's weird Mm -hmm. that's that's a way different framing technique than saying what about this monster is quirky Yes. Yep. Because you're 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 going from the first thing that we talked about, which is the PC, to the second thing, which is the story mm-hmm. and the setting. 
but it's a good um, if you're trying to get your players more comfortable doing these things, going from describing those actions you know, in a more engaging way to describing the monsters uh, or the, the foes quirks is, you know, it's, it's the next step in the process. So get, get them started on one, then slowly move to the next. And then you are well on your way to getting them more involved in creatively adding to the campaign in all the different ways. Mm -hmm. Anytime you can blend the character level and the story level or the character level and the campaign level, I think you're doing yourself a favor and doing your players a favor and getting them to help you make some of this stuff up. Because as a dungeon master, when um, I read some of the comments on that article too, like there was a question about the left fork, right fork. Um, when mm -hmm. you go down the right fork and the, t the dungeon master turns down to you and is like, what is, what is the obstacle that you're going to face going down the right fork? I'm like, why did you ask me that? Like, I'm not playing this game for right. that reason. Like, there are other right. games I can play for that um, mm -hmm. that have real rules to support that kind of stuff. Sure. Uh, and it's cool if you want to play that way, as long as you had that conversation up front. But right. I, I feel like um, that is not, not the experience that I'm looking for from this game. And and it, I'm just going to do a big aside here. When I play test an adventure that I'm writing... I will totally do this with my players. I will say, okay, here's what you see. This is what you do. Okay, here's your choice. They're like, we're going to do this. I'm like, okay, what happens? Now, I know what I wrote in the adventure, but I want to hear what they think is going to happen because sometimes, I might even say most of the time, what they've come up with is way cooler than what I've come up with. Yeah, that's true. That's a really good playtesting technique, right? Yeah. But in terms of just sitting down, you know, on your Friday night beer and pretzels game, your players might not want to think on that level. Yeah, I agree. Right. Like, I mean, I think. I think that's changing, of course, because of the games yep. that we're seeing being streamed, yep. but right. but it is not um, it's not universal. Right. And I think in, in DM David's article, you know, Teos Abadia Alpha Stream on Twitter, um, really sums up all of this really well with his talking about what he, in his experience, players are willing to do what players want to do. Um, and describing heroic moments, let's focus in on that for a second, because they do talk about describing heroic moments in terms of a, a killing blow mm -hmm. or B doing something cool. And the, the killing blow can be problematic. It can, um, I, I generally like to do it maybe once or twice in a four-hour session with new players, uh, especially someone who looks like they really are dying to be creative and, and talk and, and say things. And it's a good way to harness that energy to keep the story moving forward, but to give the spotlight to someone. But to do it over and over and over again, um, to describe every single blow that happens in, in an adventure especially if you're on a time limit at a convention or something, mm -hmm. there are better things to do with that time than, you know, talk about the six hit point arrow shot that you hit the goblin with. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I have, there, there's one trick in, in that, that I like to, to utilize, especially when I'm running games out in public and people mm -hmm. I've never run for, or people that are sitting at a table that don't know each other. I often like to say, 
during their first like attacks, especially when they hit, is like, what does it look like when you fight? And what are you using yep. when you fight? Because that paints a picture in everybody's mind of what that person and how that person fights. Yep. And that is a great way to take the temperature of the table to see the person that really gets into that description. You know that that's what they like or at least they're capable of doing. So that's a person you can go back to. If you say that to this other dude at the table and that dude looks at you like, what do you mean? What do I look like when I fight? I've got the power attack feet you know, and he starts doing that. Then you know that that might not be the person to go to to heighten the drama through player uh, provided description. Mm -hmm. And this also does another thing. You can find out who those people are at your table. And then when you go to that person, you can describe for them because you can just ask a couple of questions like, all right, use power attack. Like, are you brutal? Do you hit really hard? Are you like yelling and screaming when you fight? Like, just ask a couple more questions. Then you know how to describe how that character looks. So therefore, you can keep that description going up when you need to for the rest of the table. And then you can rely on those people who want to describe their stuff when you have those moments by asking them what it looks like. Yep. Because you know what, Chris? DMing can be a difficult thing. (laughs) Really? You you, you don't say. It's it's always nice to have players that are willing to give your voice a rest for even 10 seconds. Yeah, I agree. uh, and, and, And take over some of that storytelling burden. So... Um, when you just when you get into describing her, heroic moments, don't necessarily always rely on the combat, the the, the killing blow. Uh, you know, you can rely on other things that are that's player driven. That something cool happens, either a natural twenty on a skill check or a natural one on, on an ability check, mm-hmm. um, can lead to some fun descriptions from the players. I agree, and. Yeah, don't describe every moment. You don't have to. Think yep. about beats. That's, yep. I mean, we've talked about beat structure before, but like, there is a rhythm to the play of your game. There's no hard and fast rules for how this stuff works. You'll know what it feels like as you're playing through. I mean, we've all read and watched enough stories now that, that are good that we can sort of get a feel for how this stuff works. But if you need a rule, the idea is like, uh, you want, you never want to have three of the same kind of beat in a row. So that means, like, you don't ask for descriptions three times in a row necessarily. Like, sometimes you can just let the dice roll go, right? Like, and yep. be like, yeah, you hit, that does damage, move on to the next person. You hit, that and does that, damage, move on to the next person. Yep. And then get a description, maybe recap what just happened. Yep, that is totally A-OK. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there anything specific on describing monster quirks that you thought would is 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 needed to, to talk about? Um. So th- this is actually a bigger topic like it's not just describing monster quirks it's that other stuff that we talked about it's describing stuff in the in the world because that's mm-hmm. what that's what this question really is and right. we, we talked a little bit about it when we talked about like the the walk into the bar and whatnot like mm-hmm. oh but but like the quirk thing it's not necessarily a thing that you have to um, apply a mechanic to after you it's been described it can just mm-hmm. be like tell me what is weird about this monster um, yeah. From your, char- I, I prefer to go from the character's perspective because that gives a role playing moment. Like, what does sure. the character see? Yeah. Uh, it, it lets the the person get in the character's head, um, mm-hmm. and that goes for anything. Like, it's like when you walk into this bar, who do you know, right? Like, right. and why do you know them? Yeah. Like, not not tell me three people who are in this bar and who the bartender is, because that is a player describing that stuff, which is fine if that's the way you want to mm-hmm. play. I keep I, I want to keep making sure that that this is understood. Like that game right. is perfectly legitimate to play. I've played it and I like it. Mm-hmm. But um, 
to to help the person that wants to transition over from like this kind of um, in character all the time to giving some world in world description type stuff being a part of the building of the situ of the of the the story in the campaign like you need to kind of frame it i think from the character's point of view so i think that is the really important point that i want to put there mm-hmm. and you already made it for me like 20 minutes ago so i <laughs> guess we don't really need to talk about it and that was like five minutes of your lives that you didn't need to hear from yeah, me yeah. talking yeah it's a reinforcement is an important thing chris that's true <laughs> uh that's it man i got nothing you got anything else no, I think I think we've covered it. Uh, hopefully you have read uh, DM David's article. And again, come to the uh, G Plus community. Let us know your thoughts on it and how your experiences as a, D- as a DM or a player uh, have changed the way that you've seen the game. Absolutely. Or, you know, ping us on Twitter. We'll talk about it there, too. It's true. Here's a few Patreon shout outs. Uh, Ryan Bolter, the Space Rhino. I hope the Space Hamster is doing rather well. Steve Bissonette, the Closet Gamer, Troy Pitchelman, Timmy Okoye, and Wayne Peterson. Thank you so much for being our patrons. All right, and speaking of patrons, if you'd like to be a patron of Down with D&D, you can click on the link to our Patreon page on the website, and for $2 a month, you can get yourself a shout-out. Um, I've also been cool. drawing maps lately, so you can uh, see them there. I'll, I'll have some up soon, actually. I've just finished one up that is, uh, that's almost done, and they're in that Dyson style of map making. Mm-hmm. Or for four dollars a month, you not only get a shout out, but you also get to see our pre-production show notes, and you get access to our Slack room for life, where we just learned that we were nominated for best podcast of 2018. I know, right? Thank you so much for nominating us. We greatly appreciate it. If you uh, want to go and vote for us, go over to Mworld. I'll have a link in the show notes. Please do. Yes. Uh, if you can't help us monetarily, but you want to give us a boost, you can do so with an Apple Podcast review, too. Like, you can vote for us and then give us an Apple Podcast review or a podcast review anywhere. We greatly appreciate it. Yes, we do. Those help even if you're not listening via Apple Podcast, because other podcatchers use Apple Podcasts as their way to rate and rank shows. And so a f- nice review would help make us more visible. You know, Sean, I, I have a Twitter account. Do you have a Twitter account? Like, is that where people can talk to you on the Internet? Pretty much, yeah, at Sean Merwin or uh, at Menagerie Wizard if you want to talk to the Mad Wizard. What's yours? Uh, mine's at Misdirected Mark or at The Light 101. Misdirected Mark is for the show and the network. The Light 101 is my personal one. Uh, we, we mentioned the Dallas D&D G Plus community, so there's that. Uh, there's also a Facebook group for Misdirected Mark. We can go there, too. Or just go to the Avalon Kickstarter. Like, you could talk to us there. Sure. That's true. Mm-hmm. Are there other shows on this network, Chris, that, that you like? Yeah, there there are other shows. In fact, there's this show called The Lounge. It's actually run by our our uh, our editor, Doc Palindrome, Jesse Edmond. He gets together with people in the game industry and talks about really cool things like these conversations. They're very organic. They uh they flow really well. He just finished up his first season, so you can catch up on all twenty episodes of The Lounge. Nice. Down with D and D is a misdirected Mark production, the media arm of Encoded Designs. So, buddy, old pal, Mister Mad Wizard himself, what are we gonna do? We're gonna go kill some player-described monsters. You down with D and D? Yeah, you know me. You down with D and D? Yeah, you know me. You down with D and D? Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D and D? You down with D and D? Yeah, you know me. You down with D and D? Yeah, you know me. I'm down with D and D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D and D?